have little ones in with us this morning, so we're going to do our best best we can with that. Parents, I think you need to hear from me that it's okay. I know you've you got a little work in front of you for the next little bit. Just know that there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's probably 30 minutes away, but there's light. Um, won't be the typical morning. Um, very attentive to the little ones being in here. We just didn't feel right about the little ones being tended to by someone in a nursery. Didn't feel right about somebody working the nursery this morning. Just wanted to all be here, uh, the ones who were able to be here. I know this morning there are likely some that have pulled us up online through live streaming. And um, we forgive you for being lazy. Some of you ha- uh, out there in the virtual world have some good excuses. Those of you who don't, we will, we will forgive you, I promise. But uh, I'm delighted to share incarnate worship with you this morning. Thankful that we're here together. And um, let's begin with prayer. We'll pray, too, for the little ones and their parents as, as we wrestle together for the next little while. Lord, we are thankful for our time together this morning in advance. I thank you. Thank you that we have uh, so much to celebrate this morning and so much to be thankful for as we hear the sounds of little voices, little people, and their parents. Um, Lord, first want to pray for a stillness and and an attentiveness that really can't be explained by anything other than the Holy Spirit, just calming and um, speaking to and in spite of um, little noises and little distractions. Pray that you'll give us an insight and an attentiveness that will be in keeping with the gravity of what we're going to consider this morning. To Lord, I want to pray for a, another local church. I want to pray for uh, Real Life, or excuse me, Authentic Life Fellowship and Jimmy Vaughn. I want to pray for this church, Lord, to pray for the journey that they're on of faith, that it will be uh, driven by and fueled by and directed by a journey together in the Word. Uh, Lord, we pray for Jimmy and his family and pray that that will be a, a worship setting and pray that he is enjoying you. I pray for those dry periods that everyone goes through. I pray that you will um, guard Jimmy from that or guide Jimmy through that. And I pray that you will guard him from that ever being a J-O-B as well as the other pastors in this community, that you would always keep us about pursuing this as a calling. Pray that your people will be equipped, guided, fed, nourished um, as a result of that. Whatever way, Lord, that we may share this journey together with Authentic Life Fellowship, we pray that you'll give us insight into that, that we can cheer for your greatness and your fame in and through that people um, as we prepare for Christ's return. Lord, this morning, I would just pray for an attentiveness again that's beyond any of us. I pray that you'll guide us to the truth to enjoy Christ this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Turn to Psalm chapter 8. I guess it would be Psalm 8. Excuse me. As you're turning there, I'll share with you, we're almost preaching Hebrews this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 is where I had planned on us being this morning, but there's a reference there, an excerpt from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. A big chunk of it is from Psalm number 8. And I realize there's no way for us to really properly engage Hebrews chapter 2, at least without this morning us taking a moment to stop and dine on Psalm 8. 
In God's timing, I've recognized that it's a pretty sweet psalm for us to consider this morning as we gather on Christmas morning. I want to give you a little bit of, um, it's not geometry, maybe it is geometry, a little bit of, I want to orient you, I guess, before we climb into this psalm. This psalm is, is broken down into a structure that's called a chiasm. All right, parents, just do your best, and will the rest of us do our best too? Now, I will say this. If it gets untenable, it's okay to step outside. All right? I'm not encouraging anybody back there. He just said that when my kid made a noise. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you be the judge of that. If it becomes untenable where others can't, can't engage the message, then it's okay to step out. Now, back to the structure. Brad, a few weeks ago, preached a message where he introduced the idea of a chiasm, and we've engaged chiasms before. Hearing that word shouldn't be something that should turn you off. It's just a parking space for a new thought. A lot of the biblical writers use chiastic structure to make a specific point. It's a way of setting up a text or a writing, and in this case, a poem or a psalm, that makes a a specific point at the center of the psalm. The way to sort of look at this psalm to get you oriented is we're going to use A and A prime at the base of a mountain. B and B prime coming up the side of the mountain. And C at the apex or the summit of the mountain. So we're going to look at this psalm like a mountain. Okay, A and A prime are the bookends on either end of the psalm, verses 1 and 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then in verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, that's A and A prime. Coming up the mountain to B and B prime. You have set your glory above the heavens, the end of verse 1. On into verse 2, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And B prime is verses 5 through 8. Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And then at the apex or the summit of this mountain is the central question of this psalm And really, it's a great question for mankind to be asking. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We're going to let the structure of this psalm guide our morning together in these next few minutes as we sort of disassemble A and A prime, B and B prime, and then we're going to ask and see what the real answer is to the C summit apex question, what is man that you're mindful of him? Let's start with A and A prime, those bookends to the psalm. This psalm is about the majesty of God. In preparing for this morning, I really wanted to do a good job of defining majesty, and I realized that I just couldn't define it. It's sort of like defining beauty or saying why something is beautiful. It's really hard to do. We were traveling and riding around in the van looking at some uh, Christmas lights 
earlier this week, and uh, we were listening to Disney Teen Night or something on XM. And Christy and I were the only ones in the car dancing. I mean, it wasn't getting too out of control because I was driving. Daniel, I think, may have been dancing in the back. But Evan and Luke were just begging us to turn it off. But I thought it's so funny that Adele's song, is that how you say her name, Adele, for those of you that are, okay. She, she sang that song, Someone Like You. Is that the name of the song? Denise knows. Someone Like You. And that song came on on Disney Teen Night, which I thought was funny. But it's a song about someone like having an old flame that moves on. You know, Adele's old flame moves on and finds somebody else. All right, hang in there. And I'm listening to this song, and I'm thinking, I'm really enjoying the song. And the funny thing is, that's never happened to me. Not, not enjoying a song. But what she's saying, the story and the message in the song has never happened to me. Where someone is, where I see an old flame, and she's moved on, and I have to try and figure out how to cope. The reason I enjoyed the song is that she just is such a good singer. And the funny thing is, she's not really that good of a singer. She's singing it so passionately that it's beautiful, and you can't really explain it. That's the way I feel about majesty. It's just something that you just have to kind of engage the contours of it. In, in trying to define it, you do an injustice to it. But this psalm does provide some night, or this psalm 8 provide some nice contours that give us some insights into the majesty, the almost indescribable majesty of our God. First of all, it starts with his name. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, here's one of the tragedies of translation. It's handled in the ESV where the first O Lord is all caps. Some of you may be tuned in enough to your versions and your translations to know what that's saying there. In the original language, that translates, O Yahweh, our Adonai. O Yahweh, our Lord. It's not just singing. He's not just being repetitive for repetitive sake. O God, O God, how majestic is your name. It's O Yahweh specifically, our Lord, how majestic is your name. His majesty is connected to his name. And first of all, we should enjoy that our God is not some nameless God. He's not just God, but he is Yahweh God. He's a very specific, knowable now God. And his majesty is connected to his name. And his name is connected to his character. And here's where the unexpected comes in. The second thing you're going to see in this psalm that we're going to sort of unpack in regards to the majesty of his name and his character, is our privileged place in the created order. You're going to see how this unfolds in the rest of the psalm. What I want you to see, the point of this psalm in regards to the majesty of God is a, here's the key, a stooping majesty. His majesty is a stooping majesty. Now, let's continue on. The end of verse 1 there actually gives us kind of a clue on to moving on into B and B prime. The end of verse 1 says, You set your glory above the heavens. 
And then down in B prime, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What I want you to see there is two spatial references to the glory of God. His glory is above the heavens and his glory is below on a crowned with glory and honor flesh human being. His glory and his majesty saturates and permeates all of creation. That was the next clue to this being sort of a chiasm. These spatial references above, that's the B, and then B prime, a little lower than the angels. In some ways, this gives a little bit of shape to majesty as we see that it is all-encompassing, it is saturating, it is permeating everything that he, he has made, and it even stoops to the glory and honor-crowned flesh man. Now, here's where things get really interesting. The majesty of God in developing B and B prime more, we find it stoops to unlikely and contrary instruments and heralds of his majesty. The first being babies and infants. I thought it so timely and so appropriate that God led us to this psalm and that we're enjoying this psalm this morning while we are surrounded by babies and infants. Thinking about just reading the psalm the way it reads, you should take in the irony. You set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babies and infants? You've established strength because of your foes? To still the enemy and avenger? You've got to take in the irony of what's being said there. It should say, out of the mouths of some amazing angel, some being, some splendid creature, some upstanding man or something, but it says out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength? Take in the irony of that and just consider that for a moment. First of all, at face value, his majesty is attested to just by babies being babies. Consider this. The most vehement atheist is silenced by the baby. Godless arguments seem, listen, especially ridiculous when you are considering just even the presence of a baby. Think about the complexity of that little tiny life. Think about God's fingerprints being all over the child. When I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about years ago when, when Ken and Don joined, Rodden joined Crosspoint, and Ken shared his testimony that he began to um, seek God, sort of the genesis of faith for, for him began at the, at the delivery of his daughter, Bailey. I thought, man, I, I can identify with that. It's happened to me three times where you really see God's fingerprints. You really see the miracle of life and the miracle of birth. And how could someone not say, man, there is indeed a God. Just the presence of the baby it's hard to argue against God at the birth of a child. They take on the likeness of their parents. Isn't that a marvel as you're sitting studying a child and looking at them and you can see the likeness of them or in them, you can see the likeness of mom and dad. 
their varied cries. For the new parents, you should know that there are various cries. One of the biggest challenges in the first few years is to figure out which cry means what. A cry for food is not the same thing as a cry for a clean diaper. Are the one eye open cry for attention? Do they see me yet? Are they coming to my aid yet? Okay, I'll keep crying. It leaves the atheists silent. Thinking about how God made their little bodies soft and malleable for a pretty traumatic journey. His fingerprints are all over even just their presence. Their skin is so soft that you can hardly tell if you're touching it. You know what I'm talking about? A newborn baby, when you try and touch them, you have to look with your eye to see when your finger is actually touching them because they're that soft. His majesty is attested to just in babies being babies. In their little wee laughs, a little giggle that makes every adult in the room laugh along with them. They're enjoying a dog or a funny face or an odd sound and they make a face or they make a giggle that just attests to the majesty of God. They give glory to God and they attest to His majesty just in being babies. But that's not all that's being spoken of here. One of the few satellites I want you to see is in Matthew 21. One of the few satellites we're going to this morning. Matthew 21. That's not all that's being spoken of here. Let me, let me qualify that. As you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and begin reading, and you can just jump in. I'm beginning in verse 1 of chapter 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs it, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It's written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now watch. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and watched the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read 
Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. That is a reference to Psalm number 8. This, unknowingly to David as he's writing this psalm, is going to be fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. On the week before he enters, or on the, the day he enters Jerusalem, the week before he goes to the cross. And mouths of babies and infants are proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Indeed, as David wrote, the mouths of babies and infants are establishing strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. That's what's taking place right here as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Babies are announcing his victory. It's irony at its best. That God would stoop, that the herald of his victory and his strength would be announced through babies and infants. It led me to one other satellite I'd like for you to see. This is an important one in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This one is especially dear to me often. Because the baby is not just literal, it's also metaphor in some ways. Listen to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose babies. Some Sundays are more profound for me than others of how I feel how I, babyish I feel. I feel especially baby this morning, and I can't really explain why. Just some Sundays, you just feel really inadequate and inept. Babies being in here has an influence on that, trust me. But there's seldom a Sunday where I don't feel like a big baby. Ill-equipped, inadequate, insufficient. And it's God's way in His majesty to stoop, to use the likes of babies and foolish things to confound the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Babies and infants. Anybody else ever feel like a baby and infant? Anybody, ever, ever, anybody else ever feel like you don't have it going on? Like you just don't have it all together? I feel like I live there. If I ever come across on a Sunday where I don't feel like I live there, then you missed it. Because I live there. And I'm thankful that He's chosen the foolish things in the world to confound the wise, the weak things in the world to shame the strong. He's chosen what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's the way His majesty works. It stoops to use babies and baby-like people as heralds of His strength. Man, that's stooping majesty. Now, B prime is in chapters, or in, in verses 5 through 8. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 8, or number 8. Verses 5 through 8, read. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. This is speaking of man. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. 
You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. This passage here connects back to the very beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1 with what's called the cultural mandate. After God made man and woman, he turned to them with the very fingers that crafted the heavens. He turns to them and points with those fingers that also made them and says this, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heaven, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God sits back and says, and this is good. This is good that God has given man dominion over everything that he made. Have you ever put your hand to something and really made something remarkable and turned it over to a baby? That's what he just did. And they proved as much a few, a few days later when they broke the only rule that he gave them. And dominion forevermore was damaged. We've been fighting a dominion problem ever since. He puts everything under our feet, yet everything that we see shows otherwise. Anybody feel like you have dominion over anything? Take heed lest you fall. Anybody feel like you got dominion over anything? Man, I think it's some of the glimpses of proof to me that we don't have dominion anymore, or at least we have a very damaged dominion, is this earth is fighting back. It's one step forward, two steps back. It's hard, 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 hard work to get something in that checking account. How easy is it to empty it? It's hard, hard, hard work to even maintain some level of fitness. It's easier to just let it go. It's hard work to move forward. There's a law, an actual a law of science that connects to this. It's the second law of thermodynamics. And it's proof that things don't work from a lower state of order to a higher state of order without some sort of influence. Left to their own device, they decay. That is dominion damaged. It's probably been a year or so ago. It may have been longer than that at this point. I remember reading a story about a guy that's leading an expedition, a kayaking expedition in the Congo. They're going down these various rivers in the Congo, some white water sections, uh, some flat water sections. It's an Eddie Bauer expedition. The guy leading the expedition has, has tons of experience doing what he's doing. In fact, they're, 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 they're following all the rules that you would think they should follow. They're traveling together closely because there's hippos that can like bite a kayak in half. You think a hippo is not a big threat. Apparently it is. What turned out to be the greater threat is a crocodile. These guys are paddling right beside each other. In fact, they're paddling so close that as they place a stroke where they were, the next guy's paddle is going in. That's how close they were together to give a footprint in the river that they're in that gives a presence that's more than just one single kayaker. They're following all the rules that you would think they would follow. And then just out of the blue, when they least expect it, a huge crocodile comes out and grabs the expedition leader, pulls him under the water, and they never see him again. Dominion damaged. 
And we see glimpses of it. We see pictures of it often. We see a rare occasion of dominion redeemed where Daniel sits in a room full of lions and he's not eaten. Where Noah gathers up critters of every shape, kind, sort, two by two. And those are little bitty snapshots the way it was supposed to be. We've been suffering from dominion damage for a long time. The shocking thing when you consider what this psalmist, here David is considering, it's shocking when you consider that he gave us dominion in the first place because it wasn't a surprise to him that dominion would be lost, that we would squander something so treasured. He knew all along, and yet he gave us dominion. It's a stooping majesty that does such a thing. A stooping majesty. Now for the mountaintop question at sea. In verse 3. Under a starlit night, in in terms of the, the structure of the psalm, we're considering this the summit of the psalm. And I would almost consider it geographically. Let's imagine David sitting on a mountaintop looking at a starlit night. He's away from the ambient light of any city, and you can take in every star. And imagine that he's pinning these words. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, I think to myself, what in the world is man that you're mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that you care for Him. The ultimate question is not only fueled by majesty, it's informed by majesty. The question in general is, given your majesty and your glory, saturating and permeating all of creation, what is man that you're mindful of Him, the Son of Man that you care for Him? Why would those fingers that placed and created all things... Would you give a single care for us? It's a really, really good question because we're so small and we're so temporary and we so quickly gave up dominion. We're like fussy babies. We're fickle, frail, feeble. We're disappointing. Man, If I've tried to do anything in the last eight years, I want to be really honest with this church in my preaching. And I want you to know that you disappoint sometimes. And guess what? I disappoint more often. Let's be really honest with ourselves and marvel with David. What in the world, God, are you up to when you take the foolish things that confound the wise like us? I am a disappointing creature. I'm fickle, I'm frail, I'm feeble, and yet you've given me dominion over all that you've made, and you're declaring your strength and your victory through the mouths of babies? What in the world? It should leave us aghast. Shocked. We can marvel with David here and think about, man, wait a second. We raise and feed and use sheep and oxen. Not the other way around. Aren't anybody else glad about that? We have dominion over birds and fish. Not the other way around. We pet our dogs and walk them on a leash. Not the other way around. Really think about it. Why in the world 
did he do that? Knowing dogs, I'm just going to say most of the dogs I've ever known are more predictable and more loyal and more reliable than I am. So why would you go with man? Why did you give us dominion in the first place, knowing we'd squander it? Why not place us right alongside the rest of creation with dogs and fish and birds as our peers? It should cause us to wonder. And when I'm caused to wonder, then my next thought is, why did you even give me wonder? My dog doesn't have wonder. My dog doesn't have marvel. Why did you give me marvel? Why did you give me things like laughter? I can't tell you how often I go to pet my dog. This is not a dog sermon, but I'm just thinking about this in terms of dogs. I go to pet my dog. He always wants me to scratch his belly, and I want to tickle him because I want him to laugh, but he just won't do it because laughter's for us. Thankfully, I have three kids that I can tickle till they cry. That I don't do that, not till they cry. But I enjoy tickling my children. And I'm enjoying the fact that God gave us tickling. That He's given us laughter. He's given us things He didn't give anything else in creation. He's given us wisdom. He's given us insight. He's even given us sorrow. That's a blessing. Because sorrow sends us like a beeline for Him. He's given us things he didn't give anything else. And it was a stooping majesty that did so. To give it to the likes of us. And it's what's behind his name. A stooping majesty. When I was preparing for this morning, I thought, man, why Christmas morning? And as the more and more I studied, the more and more I realized how timely and appropriate this was as a Christmas message. Because we, 2,000 years later, this side of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and ascension and session as he's seated at the right hand, 2,000 years later, we don't have to just simply marvel at a starlit night. We don't have to simply look at a baby that attests to the fingerprints of God, although those things are good. We have more than that. We can look at this psalm now through the lens of the cross, through the lens of babies shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and being right, declaring his victory. We have that lens that we can look through now. We look at this psalm now through the lens of Hebrews 2, where we're going next week, through the lens of 1 Corinthians that also references Psalm 8, through the lens of Ephesians that also references Psalm 8. And we see that ultimately this psalm is about Jesus. He is the alpha babe. He's the alpha babe that silences all foes, all avengers. His coup and his cry gives hope to the world. The alpha babe took on flesh and stooped to delivery into a poor family on a quiet night in Bethlehem. He's the alpha babe and he is the alpha man who will redeem dominion, who will rescue dominion. In fact, he already has. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
He is seated and in session and ruling and has dominion over all things right now. He is the answer to this ultimate mountaintop question. What is man that you're mindful of him? He sort of takes the question and he moves it to where we see how God is mindful of us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't have to wonder at a starry night sky. We, like the wise men, see a new star and a new hope and a new way and a new age and even a resultant new humanity. That's us, the church, in and through the person of Jesus Christ. He's the Alpha Babe, crucified, risen, ascended, seated and in session as the Alpha Man, ruling and reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's enjoy the supper together now while we enjoy this Lord. I thought it appropriate to read the Christmas story from Luke in preparation for our supper. Luke chapter 2, if you'd like to look with me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby, the Alpha Baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among, whom, among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into, he, in the, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord's made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray and then take the supper together. Lord, we ask the same question as David on the mountaintop. And we see the answer in the person and work of Christ. 
Lord, we marvel and we wonder that you would give us dominion. We marvel and wonder that you would take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the frailty and feeble mouths of humankind, your people, to profess your story and your greatness and your victory. Lord, I pray as a result of this that we in the next few minutes as we take this Lord's Supper that we can see ourselves as a bunch of we, helpless, frail, feeble babies declaring your victory. That we can see ourselves as a bunch of people with dominion issues that find the answer to our dominion problem in the alpha man who's restored dominion for us. Lord, I pray that we will enjoy Christ and your stooping majesty as we take this supper together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's take this as babies. Knowing that we disappoint, but enjoying the one who doesn't. Let's take it as needy babies. Take and eat. As we take and drink, let's enjoy a stooping majesty. And really, look before you take. I don't know, everybody's going, ha, ha. Um, think about what his stooping majesty should do to our pride and how easily we get wronged, how easily we're offended. I mean, man, I don't know about you, but I think so much of myself left to my own device. And his, his stooping majesty should, should shed some light on that. It should really make us pretty low and humble, baby-like almost. Let's take and drink. Lord, we are thankful for the time we've had together this morning. Thankful for an opportunity to worship on Christmas morning. Uh, just pray that we'll be, um, I guess, enjoying Christ as we go about the rest of this day. We'll be marveling at a majesty that stoops. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.